It's 12 noon in London, 7 a.m. in Philadelphia, and around the world it's time for Live Aid. Wembley welcomes their Royal Highnesses, the Prince and Princess of Wales. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter, <laughs> the heroes, pick up your phone and call the professionals, Go Ghostbusters, and the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples, it's freezing out there. <laughs> because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. dawn, and as the sun breaks through the piercing chill of night on the plain outside Corum, it lights up a biblical famine, now in the 20th century. This place, say workers here, is the closest thing to hell on earth. Hello, I'm David Bowie. I've been trying to think of shock tactics or something to present what it is I've been asked to present, but I think that the figures I've been given by the uh, United Nations Children's Fund are so alarming that they say what has to be said in themselves. In Ethiopia, a prediction over the next 12 months is that 360,000 children, minimum, under the age of four, will die. That works out to something like a thousand a day, a thousand children just under four. Bob Geldof and Midjur have put together probably the most extraordinary recording triumph Ever. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. We are here at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. Things are wild on stage and backstage. Paul Stanley from Kiss is here. The Beach Boys are here. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Oh, your arms around the world. I think you know the next song. It might be a bit of a cock up, but if you're gonna cock it up, you may as well do it with two billion people watching you. So, so let's cock it up together. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com, and we speak to you today on the 25th anniversary of Live Aid. With me, as always, Times Pop Music critic Sean Daly. I'm jacked up, baby. I'm jacked up. Right before this, I went and I watched the Queen medley, and I got I got I got pumped up with Freddie Mercury, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited about it, but not as excited about sitting next to my good friend, Mr. Tom Jones. Hey, hey, guys, how are you? 
you know, uh, uh, Jonesy, as I like to call you, because we're friends now. Because that's what everyone um, calls me. You yeah. are a, a tremendous uh, sports columnist, but you're also a pop culture savant. So we'd love to have you on these shows. And a survivor of the 80s. I was yes. in college for Live Aid, but we'll get into all that. So Live Aid starts when a fading rocker, who I think a lot of people had forgotten by this point in his career, named Bob Geldof from the Boomtown Rats, who hadn't had a hit since 1979, is watching television one night. And he sees a report on the BBC about Ethiopia. And it's one of the first reports that comes out. It's um, a famous report. Uh, Michael Burke um, does it. And he talks about Ethiopia being a biblical famine for the 20th century. And suddenly everything in music changes. Thousands of wasted people are coming here for help. Many find only death. They flood in every day from villages hundreds of miles away, dulled by hunger, driven beyond the point of desperation. 15,000 children here now, suffering, confused, lost. Death is all around. A child or an adult dies every 20 minutes. The two-day report by the BBC finishes. Bob Geldof, so affected by it, goes out and forms the charitable effort known as Band-Aid. They record the single, Do They Know It's Christmas? And a mere seven months later, we're all gathered around our television sets on July 13, 1985, for a 16-hour concert that would become known as Live Aid. What are our memories of that you, epic day? Well, you know what's tremendous as you talk about this? Is that Bob Geldof, and you describe him as a fading Irish rocker, would have the clout, you right. know, and the ability to orchestrate you know, shows on two continents with all these stars, all this red tape, getting everyone scheduled to work together. Now, think about Bono right now. He's kind of like, you know, with all his third world activity and stuff like that. And Bono has a hard time getting stuff going. But Bob Geldof in 1985, who, I mean, I guess the hipsters like him, he managed to do this, which is maybe the most amazing thing about the entire day. Yeah. Well, I think what it comes down to, and the more you read about Geldof these days, you think, um, this guy did it with balls. I mean, he did it with balls. He basically went to people. I mean, he famously says on BBC during an interview, give us your fucking money. And he says it like three times. He's getting so frustrated by the way, the way things are going that day. This is a guy who I think is strong armed to some extent, basically said, look, this is pathetic. What's going on? We should all be ashamed. This is bullshit. You know, we're, you were going to do this with me. I think people just agreed to help him because they were terrified of his hair. My God. <laughs> it's only gotten worse. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was trending. It's 1985, the summer of 1985. I was 15. Youngest one in the room. I love it. I love it. And I was, um, you know, I'm not sure. You were, you were talk we were talking about this earlier. I'm not sure how aware of the magnitude I was. Um, I know that uh, I was watching MTV a lot at the time, and MTV, Martha Quinn kept telling me that this was a really big deal. But I'm not sure. At 15, I'm like, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure how much I, I you know, was really worried about Ethiopian famine, although I should have been. Let's be honest. I was 15. I was thinking about one thing, and that was pretty much Martha Quinn. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I was actually in uh, Boston, Massachusetts at the time, not living there, but visiting a friend. And I was actually going to see my father, who had just split with my mom, and now was living in Philly. So you guessed it. I flew from Boston to Philly and flew over. JFK. 
So you were actually the closest to the three of us. <laughs> yeah, I was the youngest attending. and the closest. I was kind of a little bit like Phil Collins. He also made a, a flight, and I did too, just so I could be there. But I didn't see any of it. And I remember thinking, I guess... You did with, not see any of it? No, I guess with my dad that night, um, I think we watched some of it. I remember watching... Um, I was a Dylan fan, and we'll get to this in a bit, but I remember watching Dylan at the end, and yeah, well, we'll discuss that. But Jonesy, <laughs> I, was, I was 20 years old. I was in college. I went. I was home for the summer in St. Petersburg here, and my parents were gone. They were. I went back to their place. They were at it, and I watched the entire thing by myself. Wow! But I was aware of it, unlike you, because I had. I think. Do they know it's Christmas? Is the last forty-five I've ever bought in my life. Oh, that's cool. And wow. I still have the copy, so I. I sort of got turned on to it by that, and then got excited about Live Aid. So and you, you watched watch Wire to Wire. I watched Wire to Wire, and ultimately, looking back, and we'll get into it, I was disappointed by the event. Wow, you know what Musically, I love though? That is. I love that you still have that forty-five. Yeah. Yeah, so, Man, yeah. I don't, I don't have stuff I bought last year. <laughs> I mean, so the watch it wire to wire. You were watching about fifteen hours of yeah. that of programming. That's pretty good. Eating it, a can of chef. I still remember a can of chef Boyardee's ravioli. It lasted you for fifteen hours. It, it was lot, like one of the jumbo I, ones I had you one got, and then I probably had Costco. another one later on. Yeah. <laughs> I like eating those chef Boyardee raw. I hope. Yeah. Do you eat that? Yeah. I'm sure there's like dengue fever in there, but I like over, <laughs> even with like the, the Franks and the. Oh, uh, yeah. But anyway, care. but I digress. Spearsy, where were you during Live Aid? Uh, amazingly, my story is a lot like uh, Tom's. I was in Gainesville in college, and it was summer semester, and I had just been dropped off. It was the, basically the very start of my college career. And my roommate went home for the weekend, and I literally had like a jar of peanut butter in my room. And I basically went down to the TV lounge, and I was the only guy there. Like, everybody else had split for the weekend. So it was basically me and this television mounted up on the wall and my peanut butter for, like, the entire and, – and I watched it wire to wire. And it turned out that on top of the peanut butter, the only thing else I could eat, literally my little dining card, you know, for the campus restaurants wasn't working yet, but I could order pizza. And there was only one place that would deliver pizza to dorms. And it was this really crappy. I mean, Domino's would be like gourmet compared to it. It was basically like cardboard <laughs> with ketchup and uh, and uh, American cheese sprinkled on top. And basically, so I survived for that entire weekend eating this horrible pizza and then watching nonstop coverage of Live Aid. And it just—I was glued to it. I mean, I can I can remember like every minute of it. Wow, wow! Because I go back. And um, I'm kind of like you a little bit. Like it, it's very, uh, it's very touch and go. I mean, let's see. The Wembley started um, uh, seven a.m. our time. Seven a.m. our time. Noon London time. Noon London time. Uh, with the Coldstream Guards came out. Did God Save the Queen? Royal salute. And then Status Quo was rocking all over the world. How would you like to be the band, basically, that gets the honor or the dubious honor of? Okay, it's. Two billion people are watching. It'd be awesome if I'm status nah. quo. I every night I be the only way I get to sleep is thinking we were in Live Aid, yeah. you know. And then uh, JFK started to say at noon with uh, Bernard Watson, who did Bob Dylan's "All I Really Want to Do." I can't pr- place Bernard Watson in a. Who the hell is he? Um, he was on the streets of San Francisco. I think <laughs> <laughs> he played Carl Malden's boss. No, uh, and then we had Joan Baez introduced by Jack Nicholson doing "Amazing Grace," and from there it got pretty good. Because after Joan Baez came the Hooters, but I kind of like the Hooters. You know, okay, here's here's my thing with Live Aid, and you know, and, to, and to, Tom says it's disappointing. It was disappointing to me too, but but in a weird way, I feel bad about saying this, but. 
the London show I thought was pretty decent. It's tremendous. If you look at, here's what I was looking at too, guys, and we'll go over a lot of this later. But if you look at all the big names, okay, that were at the London show, you have Sting, you have U2, Dire Straits, Queen, Bowie, The Who, Elton John, McCartney. You know, it's, if you think about it in terms of popular music today, and then look, okay, we can still go over to the American side. We had Led Zeppelin, Duran Duran. Um, Madonna, the Cars. I mean, a lot of the people who are icons. These are still the people we're following. It kind of shows you what happened in the last twenty-five years yeah. to music. Like you know, today, you know, a lot of these same people. If we did Live Aid again today, let's get the biggest names in music. A lot of these same people would be yeah. here. There might be a Pearl Jam that we'd add. You know, we'd add some new young hip bands. But really goes to show Green Day would do it. I think the reason, though, it turned out disappointing for me was this was supposed to be our Woodstock. Right. You know? That's exactly it. And, and, it, and it turned out that, yeah, it, it ultimately had more of an impact globally than Woodstock did. Right. But it didn't do anything for our generation Exactly. And that's why John, I feel John like it was disappointing. It. Yeah, Jonesy is nailing it. But man. here's but here's the thing too about you know it's funny with that as you were we were all talking about watching it on TV. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who was at Live Aid either in uh, London or in um, in Philadelphia. However, everyone says they were <laughs> wo- at Woodstock. That's the joke, right? Everyone's like, I was at Woodstock. I knew somebody was at Woodstock, and yet Live Aid because of MTV because of our generation, everyone talks about where they were when they they watched, watched it, it on their television yeah. but it was not, as as far as an attended event you know it was more a tv spectacle because of mtv and we were an mtv to generation. me i mean being a sports guy i'll compare it was an all-star game and everybody played their all-star hits if you look at the london lineup of the show and you, you have the hottest bands of that of the of that time playing and um, Geldof took some crap for it because he basically – it's an all-white lineup with the exception of Sade is the only black face that would appear in London. But he defended himself saying, look, I picked who were the most popular artists today. If you go over and you look at the American lineup, you get this – you do get a much more diverse crowd. Run DMC is there. Um but yeah, Branford Marsalis. Just to mildly correct you, Branford Marsalis was in London. He played with Sting because he was on. Yeah, the but no, I mean, Turtles. as far as like you know, headlining faces. Yeah. I mean, there were there were plenty. Uh, there was diversity, but it wasn't the, the big. No, stars. you're right. It's a it's a the biggest the biggest the biggest African American stars of the day, Prince, Michael Jackson. They all turned down opportunities to appear in Philadelphia. So they so that didn't you know. But my point about New York, I mean about Philadelphia though, is that. It it wasn't our Woodstock. I mean, if anything, the London show was our Woodstock. Philadelphia was like this horrible variety show of these. I mean, Jack Nicholson being the MC. <laughs> yeah. Why is Jack Nicholson there? I mean, Nicholson I, was coked out of his gourd. Uh, he can barely speak because he ha- he's actually kind of shy in situations like that. Yeah. So it was actually a terrible. Why? You know? I mean, why have him there? I mean, why is Bob Dylan there? Bob Dylan is not in my generation. I do not give no, two squirts. Hey, 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 Bo- hey. No, no, you let me finish my thought, Daly. I don't give two squirts about B- Bob Dylan, and I don't want him at my Woodstock. He had his Woodstock. This is my Woodstock, and him and his blow. Blowing the wind is easily one of the worst moments of the entire day. He was not very good. He was also Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, and Dylan. But Dylan transcends your... No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. We're not going to do an Elvis, Dylan, Sinatra thing again, but he transcends at time. Dylan's been, come on, relevant for 30, 40 years. He hasn't hasn't been relative in 30 years. The problem with Live Aid was the biggest moments 
were of stars doing songs that were relevant back in, in Woodstock. They brought CSNNY in or Crosby, Stills, and Nash but the in whole, to do the songs that they did at Woodstock. But the whole point was to, was to raise money to get and as it many did, people and watching. It did, and it did, and it did much more it did. than it raised Woodstock a lot of money. I, at the time I'm watching, I didn't feel like I needed my Woodstock. But as a well, col- I don't know why you guys felt well, like you yeah. needed your Woodstock. Well, first off, I had a brother 10 years older, and, and so I wanted my Woodstock. You know, I wanted... My moments with Jimi Hendrix and Crosby, Stills, Nash. But how can you have a Woodstock? I mean, again, we're talking about... They didn't speak for my generation, is basically You're sitting there eating beef or out of a can. That's what I... How moving was that moment supposed to move? You know, was the moment It's no less moving than than taking a crap in a field in upstate New York. I mean, this was our... This should have been our Woodstock, and it was, to some degree, we were robbed by it. But, but I mean, now I'm in the position of defending Live Aid a little bit. But I, I think 25 years later, it's a big deal today. You know, I, and Woodstock's mo- still a bigger deal. And Woodstock- yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, it is. Even though, like I keep saying, that Live Aid did much more but globally no, than raising all this money. Woodstock didn't raise money for anybody. I don't even know if Woodstock was on TV at the time. I mean, no, you could go and attend it. I mean, what was how many people were there? Like two million or something like that? Yeah. Isn't that the the maybe that's fallacy? I don't know. But I mean, this was a televised experience. Live Aid, you know. I I don't know. I mean, it, I looked, like, kinda, it looked like the Grammy Awards live. It's yeah, a great outside. time cap. Well, it looked That's like that. Good. That it looked like that piece of shit. Um, uh, what's the name of our thing? Uh, we are the world, right? Is now the same people that were in yeah, that? I mean, yeah. you know, save for you know, right. Huey well, Lewis know. was Huey Lewis at JFK. He should have been there. No, asshole. no, Huey Lewis was uh, was not there. He was. I, don't know. I think the JFK live. Look, we got Judas Priest. Yeah. Come on, you got another thing coming. I want them at my Woodstock, baby. Sean Daly's Woodstock. I, I think. I think when you watch Live Aid, even though we, the only thing that that moved you was that we were raising money for Ethiopia, but nothing about the music, for the most part, moved us the way even Farm Aid, in a way, can move people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you listen to to, to Melon Camp and, and Dylan and singing Scarecrow and seeing Neil right. Young come out there, you were moved because you thought about these people. Here we're singing about Ethiopia and you got, you know, George Thurgood coming out singing Who Do You Love? I mean It's awesome. That doesn't reach me emotionally. I'm telling you, the L- London version, great. American version, bad. So you guys wanted something more deeply emotional when in fact it was a variety show. Exactly. I just wanted something that was at least aimed more. I, I don't. You're, you're t- Dylan. Com- I mean, Dylan was not very good at all. Doing what? A Ballad of Hollis but Brown when the ship comes up on the way, and he was he was out of his gourd too. The he, three of them were like smoking like something. He was backstage. not as bad as Led Zeppelin was. Oh, I know. Led Zeppelin was brutal, and I'm a Zeppelin fan. And we had Zeppelin here. Yeah, yeah. And, and Phil Collins was on drums, they right? Were not very, yes. Well, not d- very despite our uh, various disagreements, we have actually organized our thoughts today into five. Pivotal, memorable moments of the day, and um, I think we're kind of all in agreement. These are not necessarily good. Some of them are bad, but uh, we have organized them as such. And so um, it's not really a stuck in these podcast without a top five list, right? Yeah. Daily. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. You're just Spears. mad now. Because no, because your comment. Dylan comment is asinine. It, it's so far off base. It's, it's like Dylan is inherently American. If we're doing something, uh, if we're having an American concert, speaking for the American consciousness, we invite Bob f- Dylan. Not me. I mean, you just don't like him. That's the thing. It's like, who was it going to be at your Woodstock? No, but he seemed out of place. Spandau Ballet? He did seem out of he place. He seemed out of place. This. He shouldn't have been there. I agree. And I'm for a Dylan, someone to finish, and I love Dylan. But if, all right, if Springsteen, would he have been out of place at that? Was invited almost. and turned it down. Right. And almost would have been out of place. The, the first band we're going to get to, to me, is the quintessential right. band on this. You ready? Thing. Yeah. Here we go. Number five. If you twist 
14 minute long version of Bad. It's my favorite song by U2. And it's it's up there for me. And U2 to me, okay, now that was my generation. Yeah. That is my generation of music. This is a band that speaks to me. And and for that reason alone, that to me was the highlight of Live Aid yeah. was, was U2. U2 actually had thir- uh, three songs in their set list originally planned. And the trouble was Bono got off the stage to help a girl that was being crushed by the crowd while they were playing Bad. He ends up dancing with her, and the, the version of the song ends up going on for 14 minutes. Wow. So they end up only playing two songs. But what, what comes out of it, though, interestingly enough, is that U2 establishes themselves that day as the preeminent live band in the world. And it's really a title they haven't lost since then. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm trying to think uh, uh, the version of Bad on Wide Awake in America is maybe eight minutes or ten yeah. minutes. So I want to get I, that's my favorite song. I even like the the, the studio cut on uh, Unforgettable Fire. Fire. Um, but I wonder if this is. I mean, I guess it, it is probably available, right? I wonder if it's on iTunes, something like that. I want to hear it. Fourteen minutes. So when he's helping, they're still like playing. Yeah. I I want that. I want that version now. And that's pre Joshua Tree, right? Yeah, that's right before Joshua. So you got to. I mean, remember, U two wasn't U two yet, and I had seen them a couple years earlier in Tampa at Curtis Hickson Hall. And all of a sudden, this was my band that I wanted yeah. everybody in the world to love. This was our Dylan. You know? Yeah. And it, th- I, when I saw them, I wanted to tell everybody, this is going to be the greatest band of all time. And of course, they'd only come out with a couple. I think they'd just come out with a war album. And seeing them on this stage, so, sort of like their coming out party to the world, right? even though they were known, obviously. Right. I mean, they'd already come out with uh, Under a Blood Red Sky. Right. And, and to me, that was kind of like their first sign that, hey, this is a really special band. But it was it was at Live Aid at Wembley Stadium in the middle of the day where they were anointed basically the the, the live band to beat all live bands. You yeah, re- I remember that. Um, is that the first album you got? What's the first album you got from you two? Uh, the War album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I everybody my age, I was fifteen. Everybody was listening to you two back then. Yeah. You know, because it was like Sunday Bloody Sunday had already been a hit on MTV. Right, right. The live version of him waving the flag and stuff like that. Yeah, so. the Red Rock fourteen stuff. minute. Yeah. Fourteen that. minutes. I can't believe I. I they must have just that. been going crazy backstage at Live Aid, going, you know, what's going on here? Because I mean, there were there were there were little lights, there were little cues that went off to tell every band, hey, it's time to wrap it up and get off the stage. They must have been going nuts, wondering what the heck to do with Bono. You know, out in the middle of the crowd, dancing with girls, as this song <laughs> just keeps going on and on and on. But Speak- that's again what makes it special. And yeah, Woodstock had more of those moments than Live Aid had. Yeah, but that was our moment. Ready for the next moment on the list? Number four.
The Majesty That Is Queen. Love it. This was the song, I think. This is an infamous performance by Queen. Um, Bob Geldof talks about this a lot in the sense that I think he was working the phones and he was talking to somebody who was giving a very large donation. And the entire day had been plagued by awful sound problems, feedback, microphones becoming unplugged, the soundboard guys not knowing what to do. And suddenly Queen, who didn't even want to perform, they thought it was a little too political for them. They, they, were, they, were, they had opted out. And, and Geldof basically said, look, it's not political. It's social. Please perform. Nobody had seen Queen in a while. They take the stage and boom, I mean, that crowd explodes well, they they open with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. right? They do. They don't do the full like the, the song doesn't explode. You know, he just at the piano. Then Brian May picks the the guitar solo. You know, yeah. And then they go into Radio Gaga. But man, oh. Mercury owned that stage. It might be the the. I mean, Bono and then Mercury on for Live Aid. I mean, he, he just owned. He was such an incredible front man, you know. And he was goofy, but he could also in a split second kind of like. Emote and pull you into these songs. I know, Jones, you're not the biggest Queen fan. I'm not fan. the biggest Queen fan, but I, there's no denying he's an incredible frontman. And that was his setting, London, Wembley Stadium. I mean, that was made for him. It really was. You listen to, all right, we've all heard all the Queen hits on the radio and stuff like that. And Mercury's uh, vocal is tremendous. But as a live performer, he's so smart. And it, he, I just got to believe that, like, you hear him do Bohemian Rhapsody and he puts different inflection in the song, and it's just brilliant. It's, and you know, he just probably he just thought of that. Like the, the the spirit moved him and he went. I mean, I'm I'm kind of gushing. I'm a huge Queen yeah. fan, but it really is a tremendous. Just to, if you're gonna watch anything from that, go to YouTube and uh, put in Queen and Live Aid right. and watch that performance. It's so incredibly masterful. There's something special about seeing Freddie Mercury in front of a British audience, especially in Wembley. I mean, it's like all the pieces fit together just perfectly, and you just know you're witnessing, you know, this magnificent moment. It's kind, of, it's kind of like watching Springsteen play in New York. Or New right. Yeah, it's exactly I've, seen, I've seen him at the Meadowlands right. before Springsteen, and it's a totally different experience. Right. It absolutely is. Queen would see their career totally rebound from this. They launched a world tour after this. It, it, it launched an incredible comeback for them that carried them all the way through, unfortunately, Freddie's death in the late 80s. It's funny. I'm not the world's biggest Radio Gaga fan, but watching it, I'm like, well, maybe it's not that bad after all. <laughs> and they call it the classic Wembley roar, you know, because Wembley gets so incredibly loud, the Wembley roar. And for Bohemian Rhapsody, they're jacked. But Radio Gaga, the place is like, Rawr! I mean, it literally lifts off the ground. I'm like, really? Maybe I have to go back and revisit Radio uh, Gaga. I love Radio Gaga. And again, Gaga. I think that's what Spears is saying about that connection at Lon- between yeah. London and Queen. That certain songs that Springsteen plays in New York get a reaction that you don't get anywhere else. People always ask us a lot of times, you know, what concert could we go back in time and see? And to me, I would go back in time and see any Queen show at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, that's a great one. I'd like to go back. They also would do uh, Hammer to Fall, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, and then, of course, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. We'll always be known for Radio Gaga. You guys ready for the next item on the list? That's right. This is a little interesting. This isn't actually a performance. But what you're about to hear is Phil Collins speaking to reporters as he boards a Concorde jet 
to uh, travel across the Atlantic Ocean and play both Live Aid concerts on the same day. Number three. Listen, whose idea was this whole trip, this Philadelphia idea? No idea. No, it was... Um, we thought if it could be done, wouldn't it be good to do it? And then it went in, we went into the logistics and we found out that it was possible. And then we had to... I mean, I, I didn't want to go just to America to play my own song, so I arranged... Eric Clapton's on tour out there, and so is Robert Plant. So I rang them up and see if I could play with them. So give me something to go for. And um, it's just nice to be involved in as much as possible, really. You know, I'm a lunatic, and I really. I was a huge Phil Collins fan back in the day. Started off being a huge Genesis fan, but this is when I, he started to lose me just a little oh, bit. Oh, already? Yeah, because I thought it was more. Again, this is more of let's turn this into some sort of Guinness Book of World Records by playing on two continents in one day. And think, to yeah. turn me off a little bit. I think I if you that. asked Phil, I think Phil probably regrets it. Becoming because I don't think anybody really wanted to become nobody this is an event where you don't want to steal the spotlight. But see guys, I disagree with that. No one knew the magnitude of it until after it happened. History has made Live Aid bigger than it was. Why couldn't it be a fun event? Why couldn't George Thorogood show up and do Who Do You Love? So I think what Phil Collins was doing was awesome. No one else tried harder. All right, maybe he could have done different songs. See, that, that's, that was my point. Yeah, do the same song? I mean, he songs? did do, well, Sting and Phil right. Collins were together, and they did. Sting came on to Roxanne, Driven to Tears, and then filled it against all odds or, and helped with Message Bell in the air night, long, long way to go from No Jacket Required. And then I think over here he only did um, Against All Odds and, where is it? Yeah, and In the Air Tonight. In the air tonight. But why couldn't he do that? Why couldn't he show that he's having some fun with it and give it a little bit of pizzazz? I mean, it's not like LeBron James announcing the world where he's going to go next. I mean, that's cheese ball. But uh, Phil was doing something. No, if you want to equate it to that, because I knew I, I can read your effing mind. I knew you were going to say that. But Phil was trying to show love and, I, give, and give people on both continents. It's one of the greatest moves ever. It's an interesting move. And I'm kind of glad they did it. Do you think it's a vanity? It was a vanity move? It, it struck me as such, and then we looked at the rest of Phil's career, and, <laughs> and then it just smacks of vanity. And this is somebody who was a huge Phil Collins fan through Genesis and through the first like three solo albums. You know who loves Phil Collins? Rappers. I've talked about this before. Ludacris, they love the tone of his voice. Cause you listen to it, I mean, especially like Face Value, yeah. and I, I like No Jacket Required. Sounds I like, like that, he, yeah. Yeah. it's good. And then it got bad. I mean, I ripped Phil Collins the other day. We were talking about Groovy Kind of Love and Two Hearts. I mean, he phoned it in after No Jacket Required. It gets pretty bad. And I was a huge Genesis fan, too. But I, I kind of liked it. I think between Freddie Mercury, Bono, and Phil Collins, those were the three stars of Live Aid. I mean, not, you know. I'm just starting to put the pieces up. together in my head. I'm just starting to put the pieces together in my head. <laughs> what are you? I, what? Phil Collins is like the Sean Daly of the eighties. <laughs> what does that mean? You, I could see. You're saying that I see no. myself in Phil Collins. I think that if um, if you were in the eighties and you were at this organizational meeting and a bunch of bands together, and someone says, you know, we probably could put somebody on a Concord and fly him over to America, and they can actually play both places. I bet. Sean Daly is the first person to raise his hand and say, I'd do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. But let me tell you. So, uh, Tom Jones, I was just talking about how much I appreciate your writing, you know. But here's my thing. I'm the same way. No matter if I'm writing a small piece or, or, or a longer piece, I want it to be perfect. You never know who's going to read you. And, yeah, sure, maybe, you know, I could be perceived as, as having some sort of an attitude or being, uh, or, or being arrogant. But I'd want to give people bang for their buck, you know. 
But you don't write the same story twice. No, are we? No, no, no. We're talking about two different things, though. No, I'm talking about his effort. But you, no, no. He could. I was saying the same thing because I watched him do Against All Odds um, uh, on, on YouTube before we were doing this. And I'm like, you know what? He, with you could do. There's, you know, um, what's? I don't care anymore. I mean, there's so many yeah. things you could do. You could have done something do from. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about him getting on the Concord and coming over. Yeah, that's what to me you know. it is. It is a long, the... it is a long, long way to go to come over and do the same set again. Yeah, but maybe he thought that he was, uh, you know, it's pure ego and pure vanity. And 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 to some degree, in all fairness, that's kind of what the '80s was about to some people. So maybe if if nothing else, that's a good, you know, moment that kind of captures a bit of the spirit of Live Aid. But I think it sort of robbed it as well from some of the pureness that it could have been. And it seemed extravagant for a an event in which you're trying to raise money for the <laughs> you, you got me there. Poor. The you money that could have been I'd saved. still go on the Concord, but <laughs> but that's just like oh, you guys are saying Bono's a saint. He's the one who like, you know, yeah. spent a million bucks to have his favorite hat flown over, you know. <laughs> yeah. so he's I'm just, just saying hat in first class, just sitting there. You mind if I sit here? Nah, it's Bono's hat. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta I'm, go I'm back just to saying coach. at one point British Airways British Airways was saying $5,000 ticket, or we could give it to Ethiopia, and Phil Collins said, I'll take the ticket. That, that, is, that is, is an irresponsible thing to say, but go ahead. It's on there. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't believe that at all, but I thought it was kind of a cool move. It came from a good place. That's why I said that's why I, hey, I said that tattoo on my back. It's, it's a signature moment in uh, Live Aid history, as is the next on our list. Number two. How many seeds must the Bob Dylan performing in Philadelphia. I think we kind of covered this a little bit. Listen, I love Dylan. I've seen him like 10 times. He's my favorite artist. I've owned all his stuff. I'm moved by it. As a writer, from one writer to another, I appreciate his lyrics. But he sucked at Live Aid. It's a famously terrible performance by Dylan. And I'll tell you about this. And a lot of Dylan fans, if they're listening right now, Dylan and the... They're not. But go on. You don't Spears. You don't don't get it. Even Jonesy loved that one. He loved it. He chortled. It's not like he's like bent over. He like, loved it, Tom. Shut Dinsley. up. Here's the thing. In the 80s, Dylan was a terrible... Um, he was just a bad live performer. And, uh, you know, they wanted to get Dylan. He meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, it, but it, it was, was a buzzkill way to end the concert. And on top of that, on top of that, he, he has the gall to say, I don't know why we're doing this for Ethiopia. We should be doing this for the American farmers instead. And he and was right, and it was the gift of prophecy. But he shouldn't have said it Geldof like that. Geldof flipped. Geldof flipped you know and what? said, "Geldof can suck it." No, Geldof <laughs> has a point because Geldof's point was this: Look, okay, so so the American farmers are, you know, having some economic hard times. They're not dying by the hundreds of thousands. Well, Dylan, I you know I'm not sure what the exact quote is, um, but Dylan could have said it better. But it inspired lo- uh, farm aid. Yeah, you know. You know, I'm not some jingoistic guy who says we only have to take care of our own. Of course, you know, what Geldof did was saintly. I mean, it was great. But Dylan gets up there. He's kind of a gadfly. He's a rabble rouser. You know, it would have been nice if he would have given a shit enough to give a good performance. Part of the problem is that Keith Richards and Ron Wood were so blasted. And those were right in the middle of, of um, Keith Richards' super heroin days, you know, or part three of the super <laughs> heroin days. I mean, they had they weren't playing together. I mean, they were disasters. 
all of them disasters. I think, I think what would have made this better is if you'd moved Dylan to like three in the afternoon instead of ten o'clock at night, and taken someone like Duran Duran and moved them towards the end. Oh, I mean, they could, if drama, they restacked yeah. the lineup of, of at JFK, I think we have a better show. Nobody at nobody at ten o'clock at night. I mean, I remember sitting there watching it, going, "This is ridiculous." Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting for magic moments that kind of saw on stage at Wembley. You know, you know, with uh, Elton John and George Michael singing. I mean, that was beautiful. Uh, then I then we turn to to Philadelphia and we see Bob Dylan standing in front of a curtain, just warbling about well, farms. It was a weird shift in mood too in Philly because right before it was Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. When Jagger during "It's Only Rock and Roll," but I like it, famously whipped off Tina Turner's skirt. Do you guys remember right, that? Right, sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there was a real chemistry between those two. I thought there was, but then all of a sudden you go from this playful kind of sexy moment to where everything goes quiet, and all of a sudden these three zombies walk out, you know, <laughs> stoned to the bejesus, you know, and they do like a really lousy set. But yeah. you know, I'm sure Dylan regrets it. You know, I'm sure he does. The number one moment we've arrived at it. Here it is. There's no real drama here. Number one. Goodbye, Philadelphia. Goodbye, America. We hope you have a good rest of the day. David's going to start this. You ready, guys? Christmas time. There's no time to be afraid. It's Christmas time. Then in life, vanishing. Sir Bob Geldof is lifted uh, upon the shoulders of his peers and carried around the stage, Wembley, as they sing um, Do They Know It's Christmas. I think, I, safe to say, a very young Spears, he probably had tears in his eyes watching that. Uh, it is, although it is know, safe uh, to say. Right it's money be- in the bank. Right before that, though, McCartney, I thought, had a really strange choice for his closing song, which was, you know, before they went into Do You Know It's Christmas. Let It Be, which I thought was just a bizarre choice. It is a bizarre choice. For... You know, kinda, that's kind of that's well Ethiop- said. Ethiopian, well, you, Ethiopian yeah. hunger relief. Let it be. Let just, it be. Yeah, I just yeah. thought it's, it's kind of. You know, it's kind of interesting. There was a rumor going around that there was going to be a Beatles reunion, and that was the main reason I think that I sat down to watch it that day because I thought if I miss a Beatles reunion, <laughs> I mean that's the sort of thing you kill yourself over. Yeah, Beatles but, reunion with uh, Julian Lennon playing the part of I would have taken his it. Father. I would have taken it. It would have been totally fun. We'd be talking about that right now if that had happened. It didn't happen. Nobody. It just. It was one of those things that. Literally, everyone was talking about, talking about, even throughout that day on, on, the, on the network side, MTV was talking about it, and it never happened. You know, the problem with these big events, too, is that, especially these days, my gosh, if Live Aid were to happen these days, there was, there was a lot of misinformation, so possible Beatles reunion. So you're, you're expecting all this stuff. Imagine something like this would happen today, and just like, oh, I hear so-and-so is going to show up. I hear so-and-so is going to do this, and there's all this word of mouth, and then it doesn't happen. So there's an inherent disappointment built into something yeah. like that. You too, wouldn't but. do that today. I think today you would not. Ha- you couldn't go around saying, "Hey, there's going to be a Beatles reunion," because advertisers obviously would get involved and be like, I'm not gonna- "You promised me a Beatles reunion and it didn't happen." I mean, you probably right. Nowadays, yeah. so corporate and stuff. This was like the last chance. But I, you know, I'm. <laughs> I don't want to drag this up again. But there is nothing that could have happened on that show that would have made you guys feel at the end of the day that it was your Woodstock, probably. 
No. Because he, I mean, like the biggest, probably the biggest deal for me besides seeing you two was the Who coming back together again for the first of what was like a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, right. And the Who was at Woodstock. So, I mean, this wasn't even yeah. our band still. And yet it was the most exciting uh, as far as people getting back together again. Them and Led Zeppelin, I suppose. And Led Zeppelin was horrible. But, I mean, th- that, that was the problem. Was, was Led Zeppelin really that bad? Yeah. yeah. They good. Yeah. What was the problem there? Plant sounded bad. Oh, Plant's plan was... He no. was gone. To- <laughs> they were all gone. I don't know what they were serving so backstage no, in Philly. Zeppelin. Zeppelin. It wasn't cheesesteaks, let me put it that way. You know what I like to serve up right now, Steve? Saggies. Ah, must be time for Reader Mailbag. And uh, we picked out just one today, but I think, I think we're going to like it. I think you'll like it, too. Today's is from Mark in the UK. Mark in the UK. I wonder if he was at Live Aid. Interesting. No, he's too young. I know that for a fact. Here we go. Hey, Sean, Steve, and Tom. I've been listening to your podcast for about three years now, and I have to say you've provided me with a large supply of hilarious entertainment. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious when Steve takes shots at me. Phil Collins. You know what? I'll gladly be the Phil Collins of the 80s or whatever it is. Um, I never lived through the 80s as I am a 90s kid. Your shows are like history lessons to me and have taught me so much. A couple of months ago, me and a group of college buddies all bought tickets to see the almighty, the awesome Kiss on their sonic boom tour over Europe. But what made this concert even more exciting was I found a girl from college who I had a crush on was going to Kiss too. I had known her... Properly, ooh, I had known her properly dun, 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 for about five months and discovered she also liked White Snake and Motley Crue. Marry her, Mark, in the UK. Uh, that was enough for me. I just had to ask her out. I thought to myself, could I ask her out while we were at the Kiss show? Hmm, what a better, what better opportunity, right? Before me and my college buddies got on a train to London to the concert, I gave my crush a call, asking when she would get to London too, so we could meet up and hang out. However, I got a reply from her saying that she could not make it to the concert due to family problems. My heart sank. I told her not to worry and said I would tell her all about the concert the next day at college. Kiss were totally awesome. Hearing such classics as Detroit Rock City, Shout It Out Loud, and Crazy Crazy Nights blew my mind away. I can safely say it's the best concert I've ever seen. The next day I went to meet up with my crush and tell her how amazing Kiss was and maybe ask her out. However, a friend of mine and hers told me she had gotten back together with her old boyfriend just a few days ago. Boom! Headshot. That's brutal. So I turned to the stuck in the 80s experts. Guys, what do I do? Should I hang in there with hope or should I move on? Keep up the great podcasting. Sorry if this story has brought back sad memories of any crush experiences you have had. No crying, Spearsy. Forever stuck in the 80s, Mark in the UK. Tom Jones, Jonesy, I turn to you. What should he do? Move on. What? There's a billion fine-looking women in... Who like Kiss. The UK? <laughs> the UK? Who like Kiss. I don't care White if they like and Motley Crue. You know what? My wife and I have no similar music tastes at all. None? None. And we get along splendidly. Yeah, the so FF move hates on, Dylan. Interesting. What would you say, Sean? You know, I'm a gambler by nature, Spearsy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say hang in there. An old boyfriend back together, second time, second time around. Uh, I'd say go and and go for it. Hang in there. She likes White Snake. Slide it in. Slide it in. Slide it. What would you say? 
Uh, you would probably say go mope and cry exactly and drink like, some wild turkey. Yeah. Well, I'm so sure he did that. Um, I highly suggest. Um, I agree with Sean. If he's getting, if she's getting back together with an old boyfriend, you know, once something breaks, man, you never, it never gets put back together in perfect shape again. How true. Yeah. They true. never get over. Says either. the man who's been married so many times. I think, Jones, you're too safe. No, not saying. Hey, you know I'm, what? I'm being realistic. But you know because you, you know you what? Know, he has a crush on her, which means he's always gonna fall. Turn on your heart light. Jonesy, she's always he's always gonna follow her around. She's gonna push him but, around. It's gonna turn out. She, oh, he, he's on the hook. Is he oh, on the hook? Oh, oh, <laughs> Since a, a lot of pain. Yeah. He's on the hook. All right, well, Mark, I've okay. been there. I've been there. I'm telling you, move on. I also think though that this is important. Don't go into the friend zone, Mark, in the UK. Yeah, you know, the friend zone's for losers. Well, you go into the friend zone. I'm not with friends her. with any women, and it's the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so pathetic and sad. Anyway, Mark in the UK, uh, let us know. How it goes. Definitely. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Hey, we'll play a clip of a movie from the 80s if you can get it right. Um, Sean Daly will say your name and probably sing your name. Yeah, I can sing them today. There's, there's, this is what's amazing. There's only about, two names. I know. Ready? Yeah. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery clip. Tell Sid the big picture. Yes, that's the great Peter O'Toole in Creator. Only one person got it right. I'm a little shocked by this. <laughs> Kevin Wench. <laughs> Did nobody else see Creator? Am I the only one who's seen Creator? That's I've never Jonesy? saw it. No, never That's saw That's great. It. Who's the chicken it's creator? It's a real think piece. It's a think, it's a think piece. Uh, Virginia Madsen. Isn't it? Oh, I love that. Oh, she's so good. Remember the hot spot with her and Don Johnson? Oh, yeah, it was just oh, on the other night. Man, and Jennifer man. Connelly. I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, man. That's like murder. This is bro. my no-brainer. Of the day, put this on your Netflix queue. Very, it's a think piece. Little tears for everyone towards the end. I like Peter O'Toole. Oh, he'd be fun to hang out yeah. with. I bet. My favorite year is his best movie. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Good. Definitely. De- well, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, sorry. That's- but uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. What do you want? Job. Doing what? Driving. Driving what? Big black limousine. Woo, baby. If you know it, email us at stuckinthesetampa.com and then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that named that 80s tune. We will provide a song probably played by a band that's playing at the Lost 80s Weekend in Vegas. And if you can get it right, uh, we will probably send you lots of emails begging you to join us. And you'll Jonesy, can you turn please come to Vegas with us? Did, did you get the other half of that deal that we talked about? Oh, God. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, sorry. then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I got distracted. Next year, Jonesy. Oh, my God. You understand, if you showed up, you would kill it out there. The fans would love to see you. Really? <laughs> what are you laughing at, Spears? I agree. Uh, Spears would be afraid that you would C block them, though. No. Spe- oh, no, no. You know what? Spears would have twice as much work C blocking everybody. <laughs> You'd have to punch in overtime. Really? Yeah. You'd be wagging that I got thing. something else going that weekend, but maybe I could do like a Phil Collins and fly in. Uh, see, I would appreciate that amazing effort. <laughs> for the stu- See, it's effort. It would Stuck be ego. Fans. It would be pure ego on my part. So yeah. that's why ego, schmigo. Pay attention. Here's last week's mystery tune. That's Room to Move by Animotion.
they in Vegas yes, too? Yes, of course. Yes, they are. Animals. I guarantee you will hear that song. They did Fascination, right? Was that them? Obsession. Fa- oh. Who did, who did Fascination? The Human Brimmer. League. Oh, Human okay. League. They were there for the are last there? Vegas. Oh, now they were there two years that. ago. It's a fantastic show. We have one winner. Candace. Candace Halfacre. How's that? That's different for me. Was that? Was there a special tune you're going <laughs> yeah, for? I'm not sure. It's a, it's a movie. It's a movie theme. Star Wars? Is that the, the love theme from Star What is that? I don't know. <laughs> if you know. If you know. That's... What is that from? Is I don't that... know, but that is now our mystery tune for this week. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Pay attention. <laughs> what is that from? Pay attention. Here's this week's <laughs> mystery clip. What is that? Does it sound familiar at all? No. Not at all. Jonesy yeah. wants to leave so bad. Right <laughs> He's like, ah. Uh, You're almost done, Jonesy. You're no, almost no, off the I'm hook. I'm good. I'm good. If okay. you know it, email us at stuckinthees <laughs> at tampafay.com. <laughs> is, is it something spielberg I'll think of it before next week. I'll have prizes for everybody. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. PPTMN. We didn't have this last week. No, I was furious about it. I got like 50 letters like, where in the Sam Hell is PPTMN? Nobody used that language but you. You're right. Fine. Thanks. You shoot me down now. (laughs) C blocking. That's With Stephen Q. Spears on today's episode of C Blocking, each each week you teach people how to block. Great, you know a new little tip. When your buddy's with an attractive girl, <laughs> tell him that tell the girl that he has head lice. <laughs> but out of earshot of your friend. All right, Jonesy, here we go. Ready? This is for you. This is from our friend Brad, my man crush in L.A. And Brad asks us, uh, gentlemen. I have never seen any of Live Aid. Can you believe that? Wow. Never seen any of Live Aid. The day of the concert, I was on a bus with my church youth group on the way back home from Colorado. I knew it was happening, and I knew, it was, and I, I, knew I was missing it, so I was bummed. I meant to pick up the DVDs when they were released, but I just didn't get around to it. So now I'm weighing the buy versus rent options. Should I buy the set? That's $32 on Amazon. Or should I just throw them in my Netflix queue to rent them? I guess what I'm getting at is what's the rewatchability quotient of these discs? Will one viewing suffice? As always, thanks for your thought on this, Brad. It's interesting because um, the way that uh, Live Aid was filmed or recorded, keep in mind it's it's 16 hours, but there's overlap. And in the U.S., um, they were running commercials. And in the U.K., no. So a lot of performances are missed. So even if you get the uh, – it's a four-disc set – um, for Live Aid, you will not get every performance. Led Zeppelin's not on there. Really? Uh, Rick Springfield's not on there. Uh, I don't think Power Station's even is on there. There's a lot of performances that are missing, either because the band decided later on that they didn't want to be included or because it was never filmed in the first well, I'm place. I'm sure Led Zeppelin, if you guys said they're as bad as they were, they probably didn't they, really want they to They specifically that said no. Cause it, it and, even, and even Geldof resisted for a long time releasing him. So as someone who has just watched off for him, I would def- definitely say, Rent them. Yeah, I'd say that if you're an '80s fanatic, um, and you know you you want some sort of time capsule, you know, if you're 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 a collector, a completist, go out and buy them. Thirty two bucks isn't expensive at all for something like that. However, if you're if for rewatchability, how much you'd pop it in and enjoy the music, you know, and enjoy it as like a form of entertainment. Yeah, no, I mean, not so much. But you should see them. 
You know, Brad should check him out. Oh, yeah. Brad's a child of the 80s, and he's a, a pop culture guy, so you at least got to check it out. It's amazing how bad parts of it are, just because it's just the sound quality was so, you know, they were doing things that had never been done before. Yeah. And so I don't blame them, but... Jonesy, you want to weigh no, in on that? No, I'd rent. I'd rent. I mean, watching it, if you'd watched it live, I mean, it wasn't, it was almost a, a battle of attrition because you had to sit through a lot of downtime. And as right. Spears, you mentioned, there were a lot of commercials, a lot of infomercials for Ethiopia. But uh, yeah, I'd definitely rent. I wouldn't buy it. There you go. There you go, Bradley. You we'll have your answer, we'll kind see of. We'll see in Vegas. If he wins enough at the tables, maybe you buy it. You know, Brad and I really got along. I think we might hug at the end. We'll see. My hug at the end? <laughs> we'll go from a handshake at the end, then a hug at the end, right? That'd be interesting. There we have it. It's been 25 years to the day. We actually are sitting here on July 13th. No matter when you're listening to it, we are enjoying it on the actual 25th anniversary. Uh, Tom Jones, as always, we thank you for joining us. You're Thanks, brilliant. You're a brilliant man. You're it's, great at this. It's never the same without you. Thank you so much. Sean Daly, a.k.a. Phil Collins. <laughs> Don't you have a plane to catch? Yeah, you know I do. I do. I'm going to drive it straight up your ass. <laughs> In the meantime, we all remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for providing music for the credits. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.